Amen. Hey, you guys can be seated. How are we doing tonight? How are we doing? Okay, you're awake. It's good to know. Um, happy Thursday to you. Merry Christmas. I'll go ahead and get that out of the way. Um, it's an early Merry Christmas. Um, but with that said, just I, I was this past week, I've been kind of thinking back how it really has just been a wild year, right? It's been a wild year. It's also, for me, it's, it seems like it's been a wild week. Some things, um, you know, when we're kind of going through things, sometimes things can feel like a snail's pace. And then oftentimes, you know, it feels like we get caught up into a whirlwind. You know, I sat down with a guy this past week, and he, and he asked me how the year's been. And honestly, like, like I said, it took me back when I stopped to think about it. Um, I really hadn't taken much time to stop and kind of reflect about what God um, has done, what we've gone through. Um, and just to think about this, this, past, this last year, you know, this time last year, there was just a few of us that were meeting um, I, some of you may remember this, some of you may not. We were just meeting in our, in our old house back in North Carolina as a small group. And every week, God was adding to our team uh, week by week. You know, and it felt like we were caught up in this whirlwind you know, as God was building our team. Well, also, at this time last year, Tampa may not have even been on your radar for some of you. Um, you know, it just kind of came up. And then we had our training. We sold our houses. We moved down. We, we, our family, we moved in with my dad. Um, that was that was exciting, and then we moved here. Um, you know, some things, some of these things felt very long, uh, and some things happened really, really quickly, like all at once. Uh, and it seems like that's often how God often works. Um, some weeks are a snail's pace, and some were a whirlwind. And uh, you know, this week has felt like another one of those whirlwinds for our church and the life of our church. For eighteen months, we have been. Uh, I, I have been looking for a location. We've been looking for a location, praying for something to get, where we could gather, knowing uh, that it was often kind of felt like finding a needle in a haystack. Um, we had a long list of things that we were looking for, um, and it just didn't seem to exist, right? Uh, and then 17 months ago, nothing happens. And then on, we gathered on Monday night. We've talked about this. You know, we gathered on a Monday night on October 28th with nothing. We all cried out to God. Uh, and then I, I just thought about this, this this week. It was five days later. I kid you not, five days later, um, Friday, November 1st, I went back and looked at the email. It was at 9.30 p.m. Um, for a potential location. I had gotten an email. Um, and here we are moving forward with that location. Although it's not perfect, it really is about as good as it, as, as it gets. Um, it fits almost everything, everything we're looking for in a space. Um, and then, you know, we, we talked about this as well. Like, we don't really own anything as a church. Um, we, have, like, we, we have a laptop and a couple signs. Uh, so we've, we've had to buy a few things, right? Um, just, just a couple things, like uh, sound equipment and TVs and microphones and then things to hold all this stuff, uh, like carts and trailers to keep all this stuff in. Now, um, I have learned far more than I ever care to learn about microphones, soundboards, and radio, frequency, radio frequencies, which apparently you have to get them approved. Um, I didn't know that. I found that out this week. Transmitters, uh, snakes, not like the, the rattlesnakes. Um, these little things right here uh, that you plug things into, you know, but it's, uh, all these things go on, and they don't teach you these things in seminary, like they just don't, um, and so, you know, our tech team has been God's grace to our church, and here we are about to drop a ton of money on a lot of this stuff, and then several churches come in this week uh, and donate thousands of dollars worth of stuff to our church, all right, praise the Lord for that, I mean, thousands of dollars, we could have, I mean, who would have thought that buying 150 chairs would cost $4,000, Right, and then this week, someone a church comes in and donates 150 churches to new, uh, chairs to New City Church. Um, large TVs, 
right? 70-inch TVs in the stands, a couple thousand dollars for these things. A church comes in and donates or offers to sell it to us for a very, very small fraction of the cost, right? Almost, I mean, just a fraction to what it was. And then um, we've got uh, thousands of dollars worth of used speakers and subwoofers just donated to us, right? Microphones given to us just for free. Right, this is all God's grace. And then random other things. Like today I found out we were given 150 foot of pipe and drape right, for free. Right, that, this is God's grace to our church. I mean, he would th- I mean just to cover up the, the lime green walls that we're going into. Um, you know, it's, it'll be, and they're, they're really tall too. So it'll be like they go up to 15 feet if we need them to. So really neat. Thousands of dollars also worth of storage carts. Like just a church, another church. A different church came in and said, hey, we've got all these carts that we use, and they just kind of roll things on. Who would have thought that these random carts would cost five or $6,000 just to, to store stuff on? Right? They were given, all these things were given to us this week for free. Um, we weren't going to buy those things, uh, but apparently God cares for our backs, cares for your backs. Um, and so that's just, you know, all, all of this to say, if anything is evident in the life of our church, it's this, and it's that God is with us. Right, God is with us. I don't, I don't want us to miss, and these moments kind of come and go, they can happen in a whirlwind, and we can miss the evidence of God's grace in our church. But all this happened so quickly, and it happened you know, this week. Um, you know, some things have been hard and slow and challenging, and um, as to be expected, because we talked about pushing back darkness, but yet over and over again, God keeps showing his kindness to us, and God keeps reminding us that he's with us. And so as we get into full Christmas mode, um, I want to call us to remember this while we celebrate while we celebrate Christmas, and that's our big idea tonight. We celebrate Christmas to be reminded that God is with us, and not just our per, our church, uh, but also with us personally. But also the fact that God came down to Earth should lead us to celebrate that God is with us. This in itself, like that idea that God is with us, this is unbelievable. That God, the Creator of the universe, took on human form, became a baby was placed into poverty, uh, not into royalty and riches, but placed into poverty, placed into a time in history when God's people, right, they were, they need, God's people at this point, at that time in history, they needed a comeback story. You know, they were down and out. Uh, they were in a very difficult, seemingly insignificant time in history. And that's what's happening leading into our passage today. You know, God, uh, God had, had been eerily silent. I mean, just eerily silent. God's people were waiting for a king. They were waiting for a break, breakthrough. Um, and as we said last week, God said this king would come. Right? He told his people this. That, that through the, he told his people through prophets and visions. You know, that God's people, they were looking for a king, um, a king like David. A king that would come from the line of David, from the line of Abraham, because that's what God promised. But several hundred years go by. Where God was seemingly silent, things were moving in a snail's pace, and then suddenly something happens. And then all of history, right, all of history in a single moment was redirected and altered. Right, it, was, it, was, it was a flash of a moment after 400 years of silence. And then God comes onto the scene in a whirlwind. But it wasn't like a crazy flashing whirlwind. Right, this was like a, uh, a, a history altering moment, but it came more like a more like a tiptoe in the night. You know, at our house, um, we read this, the, this little kid's Bible. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And I love this Bible. Um, you know, I, there's a lot of things I love about this Bible, but uh, this is what Jesus Storybook Bible says about this specific history-altering moment. We're going we're gonna to quote a kid's book tonight, so here it is. 
Um, everything was ready. The moment God had been waiting for was here at last. God was coming to help his people, just as he promised in the beginning. But how would he come? What would he be like? What would he do? Mountains would have bowed down, seas would have roared, trees would have clapped their hands, but the earth held its breath. As silent as snow falling, he came in, and when no one was looking in the darkness, he came. So like we said, God comes onto the scene like a tiptoe in the night, uh, but just like when you throw a, a pebble into the water, right? God started to make these ripple effects of this quiet moment, and these ripple effects extended for out through, through thousands of years of history. One small quiet moment extends thousands of years throughout history to us today. And that ripple effect is a continual reminder that God is still with us. Still today, God is with us. Those years of silence are broken, so to speak, in the book of Matthew. With our anchor verse that we've been going on with our series, our King in the Kingdom series, Matthew 1.1. Those years of silence are broken with this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So in that one, in that one verse, the author, of, of Ma- the author of Matthew is reminding God's people of their history. They're being reminded of God's promise to Abraham and David that we've talked about in the, in the weeks past. And the author of Matthew, he takes the reader down memory lane, recounting their genealogy, showing the birth line from Abraham to David to Jesus. And as the reader is reading this, their eyes, right, the reader, as they're taking all of this in, looking at the genealogies, their eyes are starting to become opened. Because they're understanding the significance, the weight of what's about to be revealed. It's this history-altering moment. And then we get to our text today, coming in, you know, there's, full of, there's a lot of tension as we come into this text because of the history of what's happened before this. There's a lot of angst. And there's a lot of hope. And this is what we read starting in verse 18 as we get into our text today. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And I find this fascinating. You know, there's this tension with God's people. They're in this long waiting period, and then this is how God enters into the world. Right? Like, like, like the Jesus Storybook Bible, God uh, could have made the mountains bow down. He could have made the seas roars, the roar, the trees clap. Like he could have done all these big, extravagant things, making a, mighty, making a mighty entrance into the world. But rather, God came into the world quietly. And for the most part, he came in unnoticed. If you read into chapter 2 of Matthew, it appears that, that Jesus was noticed. Uh, because we see these three wise men, they come and find Jesus. And word gets back to King Herod uh, and all of Jerusalem in the story. You know, that's when it starts to get kind of wild and crazy, right? It certainly doesn't read 
in chapter 2 like a tiptoe in the night. And you know, in your own time, I would encourage you to go and read that part of the story. Um, but when you read it, you need to know by this point in the story, in chapter 2, Jesus is no longer a baby. It's, all, it's widely believed by this point Jesus was probably about two years old, which makes the three wise men at the manger scene um, kind of funny and not so accurate at times. But that's not important for today, okay? That's not important. The story of the birth of Jesus in the book of Matthew, it ends at chapter 1, where we finish reading. Um, most of the details and most of the, the, the details of the birth account, they're told in uh, the Gospel of Luke, like with the manger scene uh, and the animals and Jesus laying in a feeding trough there. Uh, but the Gospel of Matthew, it's a little different. Um, our, kids, our kids' Christmas plays, they don't often come from the book of Matthew. But when we read the birth account out of the book of Matthew, we need to remember that he's, re- he's writing to a specific audience. He's writing to people who are familiar with God's, with God's history, with God's people. Um, Israel. So they're familiar with Israel. They know about King David. They know what the prophets have said coming into this story, coming into into Matthew, about the coming king. They know about all the difficulty that these people have gone through, that Israel has gone through, that God's people have gone through. So when we read the account of Matthew, we see that God comes onto the scene. He comes in quietly uh, and unnoticed. But for those reading this story later, after it happened, this this point in the story after the fact, when we look back on it, it reads a little bit more like an exclamation point in history. You know, it's like that pebble that was thrown into the water, but it makes a ripple effect throughout thousands of years. In this moment, it begins the whirlwind of God being with humanity. I love, uh, I love the title of the Jesus Storybook Bible uh, coming into the, to the birth of Jesus. It's titled, He's Here. You know, like, He's Here. And I love it because uh, although He makes a, a quiet in- entrance, It is an exclamation point in history. Jesus comes onto the scene as a baby, and the readers at this point, right, they're exclaiming, the king is here, right? Like, God is with us. He's made it. Our long-awaited king, he's finally come. He's here. And you know, in the birth account in the Gospel of Matthew, um, Matthew, he's highlighting a few significant things that are important to the people of Israel. And the birth account of Matthew, in a lot of ways, he's reminding us yet again He's reminding us in this, in this birth account in Matthew that God is a promise-keeping God. That's what we see here. In the back of Matthew's mind, he's remembering the promise to David and the promise to Abraham. And, and the birth of Jesus here is showing and revealing that God is keeping a promise. Like God's keeping a promise here because as we've seen throughout this series, God makes promises and he keeps his promises. So tonight, I don't have a bunch of points. Okay, I've got one point, and it's our big idea, right? that God is with us, because that's what Matthew emphasizes. That's what Matthew is emphasizing here, that God is with us, right? that the, the Messiah has come, the King is here. So with that said, I want to walk back through the story. Um, we're going to look at it, uh, just kind of, I want to point out a few really interesting things here. Uh, it's going to sound a little bit more like a walking commentary, a walking commentary and in the end, I want to I want to point out the beauty of this idea that God is with us. So let's walk back through the story, verse by verse. Verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be a child from the Holy Spirit. So like, I, let's stop here. Uh, I said God came in quietly, um, but at this point in the story, before Jesus was born, I think we could imagine a little bit of tension in right? Or in, the, in their relationship. They weren't married yet. 
Mary and Joseph, they were betrothed. They weren't married, um, which is kind of like an engagement. That's what a, that's what a betrothal is. It's, it's a little different than an engagement, though. It was, a, it was like an arranged engagement that came in two phases. Um, but the second phase of the betrothal it had a legal agreement, um, which could only end in divorce. Uh, but they weren't actually married yet. So just imagine, we're going to call them, we're gonna, we'll just say they're engaged just for, for sake of ease. But, so just imagine Joseph, he's with his fiancée, who's pregnant, right? She's pregnant. And he is 100% confident that that is not his baby. Um, she says it's by the Holy Spirit, okay? And any sane person at this point would end the relationship on the spot. Like, uh, this seems well beyond just a little fishy to say that they have a baby by the Holy Spirit, right? But look, look what happens next at verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just and quiet man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So if this, if this says anything about Joseph, it's that he's a kind man. Um, but there's something I want to point out here that comes up in the Gospel of Luke. It doesn't, it's not necessarily in this account in Matthew, because remember, the author of Matthew is emphasizing that uh, Jesus is coming from the line of David. So Matthew's account is putting the emphasis, the lens, on the Joseph who comes from the line of David. But when we look over to the Gospel of Luke, there's some details that are emphasized in Matthew specifically about Mary. Right? In Luke 1, before Mary was pregnant, an angel came to Mary while, we, while she was betrothed to Joseph. And this is what the angel said to Mary. He said, greetings, O favor one. The Lord is with you. Um, and she gets a little freaked out. Okay? Uh, Mary gets a little scared. Uh, because, I mean, and rightfully so. Remember, there's 400 years of God's silence that's coming. And then all of a sudden, the angel comes onto the scene. And let's be honest, um, I think you would be afraid, too, if an angel came and spoke to you. So uh, there it is. Um, the angel said, don't be afraid. And then, this is what we read in Luke chapter 1 starting in the middle of verse 20, okay? It says, You have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be, a great, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob, uh, which was Abraham's grandson, um, forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary's like, how is this going to happen? You know, she's a virgin, uh, the angel says, by the Holy Spirit. Okay? And then uh, we see Mary at this point. It, Mary has a life-altering point. We see Mary after the fact. She's worshiping God. You know, it's, it's clear that Mary's not confused if this is really going to happen. I mean, like, she is, she's convinced that this is what's going to happen. She's confident and she's a changed woman. So in the Gospel of Matthew, um, when we go back to the Gospel of Matthew and look at the account of Joseph here, I don't think Joseph is being passive. He's probably pretty confused. Like, because he's got his, he's got his fiance over here, Mary, who, who's convinced of what's going on, wondering, and she, he's wondering if this is true, and he's wondering if, if God really did speak to Mary in a dream. And I'm sure uh, she seems very confident about her encounter with the angels when she talks with Joseph. Um, but, but Joseph, rightfully so, he was confused. He was probably a little confused. In the back of his head, he's probably wondering, okay, is, is what she's saying, is this true? Or did she cheat on me? Right? Did she cheat on me? But when, you look, when we look at what happens next in our Matthew account, in Matthew 1, starting in verse 20, this is what it says. It says, but he, that being Joseph, considered these things, 
Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So that encounter, that encounter that happened to Mary that we saw over in the Gospel of Luke several months later, right after she was pregnant, after she was already pregnant, that same exact thing, very similar thing, happened to Joseph. You know, God in his kindness, he comes, in, he comes up to Joseph through an angel and confirmed it to Joseph. So both angels told both Joseph and Mary that this baby is from the Holy Spirit that this baby will be called Jesus. And then also that this baby will fulfill all the things that were promised for years in the coming king. You know, this, the angel told Mary specifically that he will be great, which that should tip, that should tip her off to the promise of Abraham that, that Jesus will be great. The angel also told Mary he will reign over the house of David forever. And when thinking back, that should tip them to the promise to, to David. And then to Joseph, right? The angel, a different angel comes in. He was told by a different angel that his son Jesus, that he would save them from their sins. And a detail that both angels reminded both Mary and Joseph about was that Joseph came from the line of David, came from the line of David, calling him, specifically calling him the son of David. So to both Mary and Joseph, God sent angels to them separately. Showing their son to be born will be the long-awaited king. The king that was promised from the line of David. The eternal savior of the world. So we know that Mary believed this to be true. Uh, and now we know that Joseph too, also, he also believed this to be true. And so for those who are reading this, this birth account, <laughs> this is screaming and shouting that God is keeping his promises. Right? The faithful few of God's people, have that they've been studying and grasping onto the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, during this long period of God's silence. And they knew the promises of God. They knew what God had promised them, and they saw them starting to be fulfilled when they start hearing of these things, seeing these things, and reading these things. So look what it says next. Verse 22, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So that's the quiet pebble. Right? That's the tiptoe. Uh, that give, that's the tiptoe into the night. That's the, the, the pebble that gives the eternal ripple effect right, of the king. Right, of the blessings and the promise that were promised to both Abraham and David that are looking back on. So that's the, that's the birth story that we see in the, in the account of Matthew. The quiet exclamation point in history that changed and altered history. But the point of this story, the, the greatness of the story that Matthew emphasizes in verses 22 and 23. And I always love it when authors just, just make it plainly and they tell you why. Like why all of this took place. And it's to emphasize the virgin birth you see that in verse 22. And it's also to emphasize Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. So in this story, Matthew specifically pointed out Jesus as Emmanuel. 
meaning God, God is with us. God, Matthew wants us to see, he wants us to see that God is with us. And so I want to spend the rest of our time, as we enter into Christmas, uh, celebrating the, the greatest gift that we could ever be given, right? the gift of God, the gift that God is with us. That's the greatest gift we could ever receive. Now, there's certain things um, we hear over and over again, things that uh, we hear m- many times, and then sometimes it hits us, uh, and we understand it in a different way. Then that happened to me this week when I was studying this. Something I've heard many times is this. We're going to put it up on the screen. When, when Jesus was born, grace appeared. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I've heard this many times, um, and, it's, and it's great to hear. Um, so that, that idea of God being with us, we have to remember it's complete grace. When Jesus came, he came to be with us. Right? And that's, that really is, like the song says, that's amazing grace, what he did. But as we kind of walk through the Old Testament over the past several weeks, thinking about the time in which Jesus came onto the scene, I started to understand the grace that came with us in a different way. It just became fascinating to me. So have you ever, have you ever uh, just been done with somebody? Um, like you're just fed up. Maybe you're frustrated. Uh, you're at your wit's end. Maybe it's small day-to-day things, maybe major things. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your, uh, you know, just saying mommy, 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 or daddy, daddy, daddy a hundred times a day. I don't know if that ever happens to you guys. Um, you feel like you're about to go to the crazy house if they say it one more time. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's your husband or a spouse, family member, coworker, whatever it is. Like, like at this point, whatever, whatever the situation is, whatever you can think of, uh, you're just mentally, emotionally, and just physically fed up. Like you're just done. Um, well, that's kind of where God is with his people before Jesus comes onto the scene, except it's far worse, right? That, it wasn't like this small little uh, annoyance. It seemed as if God was completely done with his people, like he was just done. And this past Sunday, uh, we talked about how king after king would rise and fall. You know, we, we talked about, uh, it was like loser king after loser king, like, a lot like the Cleveland Brown quarterbacks. But they weren't all this way. I mean, but mo- most of them were that way. There were some glimpses of grace. Um, but it wasn't just the kings that were a little pathetic. God's people, uh, Israel, they were pathetic too. Like they were just flat out pathetic. For thousands of years, this was the cycle of God's people. Thousands of years. God would show up in some way. God's people would praise the Lord for a short time. Then they would go through some sort of difficulty. They would, they would turn to other false gods instead of turning back to the one true God. And then eventually things would get bad enough where God sends someone. And they come back to God. They worship God for a while and they turn away again. And this cycle happens over and over and over again for thousands of years. And then in 2 Kings chapter 17 and 18, I, I found this really interesting. We see that God in this point, he's fed up with his people. He's tired of their continual rebellion, their disobedience, their continual idol worship. Um, and so he was just fed up, and rightfully so, because this is the point in the story where everyone looking in, everyone looking in at this point in the history, in the story, thinks, why does God, why does he continue to go back to them? Like, he, he just, God continues to show up over and over and over again. In, in spite of their rebellion, God is continuing to show up. You know, a couple mistakes we can kind of understand, but, but this many times, but yet God shows patience after patience after patience. And, the more, and this is more than Israel could ever dare dream to, to expect, right? 
And then in 2 Kings, in chapter 17 and 18, I found this interesting as we kind of shed more light on the birth of Jesus for me. Multiple times, it says, God removed himself. God removed Israel from his sight. God just removed himself from his sight. It says it over and over and over again. Like, God was just fed up with his people. But then... After, after, this, after this happens, God continues to sow very small glimpses of grace, sending prophet after prophet. He tries to discipline his people, to warn his people, to wake them up. There's a few small glimpses of grace again. But for the most part, most, most of the time, it's disobedience, rebellion, and God's people rejecting God over and over and over again. And then when you get to, uh, when you read the books of Ezra and Nehemiah and Esther and the, fi- the final books of the Old Testament and the Old Testament history, um, these books are very candid because God's people, they seem to, to lack miraculous evidences of God's presence in times past. Like there's just, like God's presence is just, it seems to be lacking miraculously in these books. And then the very, the very last thing that happens in the Old Testament before the encounter of the birth of Christ, in the book of Malachi, we see still yet again, it's clear God's people are still corrupt. They're still rejecting God. They've gone through uh, 70 years of exile. They're in isolation, and that didn't change them. Right? God tried to discipline them, and it didn't work. God, God, tries, God continues to reveal their problem, show their sin and their corruption. But yet, in God's kindness, it's clear that he's in, in Malachi, in the book of Malachi, it's clear that God still loves his people. But it's only the few that were faithful that he cares for. There were a few faithful that he cared for. And then at the end of Malachi, in the midst of his anger towards Israel, God gives a glimpse of hope to the faithful few, but only the faithful. And he shows that on the great day of the Lord, for those that fear his name, there will be joy when the Lord comes. For those who who do not fear his name, there will be judgment. So there will be joy for those who fear the Lord, and there will be judgment for those who do not. And then it seems as if God just walks off the scene. Like he just, uh, everything turns dark. And, God, and so there's, a, there's 400 years of silence is what it seems like. 400 years. And that's, that's at the end of the Old Testament. And then in Matthew chapter 1, in complete grace, right, astounding grace at this point, that God's people, they just didn't deserve. Because as we've seen, they've rebelled repeatedly for thousands of years. But in Matthew chapter 1, God comes onto the scene quietly, silently, tiptoeing in the night. But this time it's a little different. Because he didn't come in a dream. He didn't come in a cloud. He didn't come speaking audibly through a bush. He didn't come in, in, in raging thunder, de- defeating great armies. He didn't try and correct his people through prophets. He had already done that in the past, and it didn't work for God's people. God's people kept sinning, they kept failing, and they kept rebelling. And then, in God's kindness, God became flesh. God became a baby and lived among his people. God came and lived among his people. God became Emmanuel. God came down to be with us in spite of their rebellion because there was a bigger problem that God had to solve. God had to become human. God had to be born. God had to come and dwell among us so that he could live the life that no one else before him could live. 
God had to come down to earth and do what no one else could do. God had to come, dwell among his people, be with his people so that God could fix the cosmic problem of sin. That was the problem. God came to be with us so that he could die for us. God came to dwell among us so he could be the perfect sacrifice for us. When we think about the birth of Christ, we should see it as God coming to be with us so that through the cross we can be with him. The birth of Christ is the first step of God sending Jesus to the cross. And as the angel said to Joseph, Jesus came to take the sins of the world, and the birth of Jesus is showing that grace appeared. It came onto the scene. Grace for God's rebellious people, Israel, grace for those that lived physically with him, it was his first step of grace to become the perfect sacrifice and go to the cross to to take away the sins of the world. And then for those looking back, we know that it was grace that he came, he died, he conquered sin and death, he rose from the grave, he ascended into heaven, and then the Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of those who believe. The birth of Jesus is God's first step of grace, revealing that God is with us. Brothers and sisters, New City Church, we can celebrate Christmas because we have the greatest gift. We can celebrate in this season because God is with us. God didn't leave us to plunder. He came to dwell among us. God came to be with us. This is such good news. If God didn't leave his people for thousands of years of rebellion, covered in sin, covered in corruption, But instead, in spite of that, he came and chose to come down to earth to dwell among his people, to be with his people so that he could take their sin and be the covering for their sin. If that happened, we can be confident that he will continue to do the same for us. (laughs) Christmas, the birth of Jesus, is an incredible reminder that God is with us. He didn't leave his people then and he won't leave us now. So tonight, as we celebrate Christmas, we can celebrate that on the night that Jesus was born, he came in on a silent night as a tiptoe into the night so that he could dwell among us and be with us. The quiet night started the ripple for God to be the ruling and reigning king of the global and eternal kingdom. The birth of Jesus is the grand announcement of the king and the kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we we love you. We're grateful that you came to dwell among us, that you came to be with us, that you you are God, that you're Emmanuel, that you did not leave us in our sin, but you came down to be with us and be the covering for our sin. Father, we we need your help today. We pray that we would, uh, as we go into the Christmas season, as we're in the Christmas season, that we would celebrate the fact that Jesus came Uh, to be with us, that God came to be with us. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.